Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a Bible study that I've entitled, How to Share the Gospel. How to Share the Gospel. Notice again, verse 8, chapter 1. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that's exactly how the book of Acts unfolds as the gospel, the power of the Spirit comes upon that small group of men and women waiting for the promise. In chapter 2, the promise comes, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then the rest of the book of Acts, the gospel saturates Jerusalem, saturates Judea, goes into Samaria, and then by the end of the book of Acts in chapter 28, the known world had received the gospel through this group of people empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's still happening today. That's how you got saved. That's how I got saved. As the gospel continues to go forward, the Holy Spirit using the word of God in the people of God, that's still how God is doing it today. We learn that. This is God's strategy for reaching the world. We live in a world that currently has 1.9 billion people that are considered unreached by the gospel. And then you add to that many people that we would consider reached, but still yet unsaved, rebellious, not interested, don't like organized Christianity, all of the reasons. And there are billions of people on the planet right now that still are unsaved. And it's God's heart that they would be saved. And and how will they hear, the Bible says, unless someone comes to them with the message of the gospel? That's you and me. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And then this is a beautiful statement. Once we understand the eternal perspective of God, then Peter says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ, when he was sent to the earth, when he came, the eternal Son of God came into the womb of Mary and put on a human body. When he became man, he came on a rescue mission. He came to rescue us from the pain and penalty of our sin, both temporarily, temporally, and also eternally. That rescue mission continues today, even after his ascension, but now it is him through us. It's not simply a pastor's responsibility or some professional clergy. We are the church. And so when you think about this phrase that we've been using and we're gonna use for the next few years in our study in the book of Acts, when we, you think of that phrase, be the church, You're going to learn over and over and over again what it means to be the church. What does that look like exactly? How is that lived out? And today I want to reveal to you that the primary way that that being the church is lived out is through lovingly evangelizing and lovingly caring for and lovingly serving the world in which you live. It starts with a care for souls. It leads to the building of bridges. It's covered by our walk and our life and love. And just simply considering the loss, that is normal. That is natural. And that is needed for us as a church, the church at large. But so many believers are either simply afraid of going out and openly and regularly sharing their faith, or they simply don't care. They do statistics on this all the time. They they do surveys of churches all the time. And the numbers that come back are always, well, I don't know any other way to say it. It's pathetic. It's pathetic if these surveys are true. And the surveys will say something along the lines, and I don't have exact numbers, but like 80, 90% of believers have yet to share the gospel with someone else. And, And to me, that's just not the heart of God for us. 
It's not the heart of God to take what we know and not even care about the people that God has allowed in our lives. We don't even care enough to tell them or to broach the subject. And here's how it looks. We have no problem talking about football. And what's your team, what's my team, and where'd you grow up? We have no problem talking about baseball. What's your team, what's my team, where do you go? You know, we have no problem talking about our hobbies or our cars or clothes or whatever the new gadget is. But the things of the Lord, the church seems to be silent. And it's just not God's will for us as a church. This is, I'm not responsible for the church at large, but I do have a responsibility for the souls that God has entrusted to my care. And look, it's God's will for your life to love the people that are in your life and to love them enough to take the conversations that you have and share with them about the love of God for them. I mean, I guess the best way to put it is, have you ever asked one of your friends a simple question like, did you know there's a God in heaven that loves you? And simply broach the subject. Today, I want to help you do that. Today, I want to help you practically Learn some things about yourself and about the gospel, about the word of God that will better equip you of walking into someone's life. Evangelism. It's not reserved for pastors. It's not reserved for evangelists. It's for all of us. And you think, you know, some of you go, but Ed, you don't understand, you know, that's just, that's just not my personality. You know, I'm not really outgoing and I'm kind of shy. And, and I would say, no, evangelism is for your personality. It is for the extroverts and the introverts. It, it, it is for the people that love to have those conversations. And it's the people that would rather have very few of those conversations. Your personality is not the issue. What the issue is, is your heart. That's the issue. If you're introverted, God will use you in your personality. If you're extroverted, God will use you in your personality. But there's no good reason. Church, write this down, think of it, pray over it. There is no good reason for you and I not to be involved in evangelism. None. Zero. No good reason. And after today, you will be better equipped in knowing and learning what it is to follow the Lord. I think of John chapter 1, verse 40. Where, it, where it, listen to this, this is great. I'm gonna read it to you from the New Living because there's a phrase they translated I really like. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these who had heard what John said and then followed Jesus. And then listen to this. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon. You might know Simon as Peter. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, We have found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. I just like that phrase. He he heard the gospel. He started following Jesus. And the first thing he did was go get his brother. And say, bro, you got to come. We found the Messiah. And I see if we have that heart, I believe if we adapt ourselves to the heart of Christ, we will find many times our first response will be to take the gospel and introduce someone to Jesus and Jesus to someone. Today we want to gain from the word, knowing a a better understanding of the heart of Jesus on his rescue mission, knowing that the coming of the Lord is at hand, and knowing the days in which we live are dark and evil, and knowing that those who do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ will perish, we will learn that we have the wonderful privilege and honor of telling others about our faithful and loving Savior and inviting them to Jesus too. So our message, our time together will be divided into two sections. The first section will be practical. Practical in the sense of how do you prepare and what are some things to think about when you are, when you leave here? Like what are some things to think about when you think of reaching out to your brother or reaching out to your mom or reaching out to your boss or some of the friendships and relationships that you have and have been developing in your neighborhood? What are some practical steps to be prepared and ready? And then secondly, I'll walk you through the word and through the Romans road and teach you how to biblically share the gospel and what steps that means, and how to use the Bible to share the gospel, okay? So if you're taking notes, here's some practical things. Number one, in preparation, number one, be a person of prayer, because salvation is a supernatural work of God. We need to tap into it through prayer, to, to be praying about this particular topic. So number one, when you're thinking about it, sub point is pray for the lost. Pray for the lost, 
Pray for the people in your life that you know aren't saved. Pray for your family. Pray for your boss. Pray for your neighbor. Pray. Like when you're watching the news, instead of being so upset about what you pray for the people on the news, pray for the people that the news is sliding and you're hearing about this decision and that decision. You get so angry. Stop being angry and pray. Pray for the salvation of, of our leaders. Pray for the person that's ripping off in our community. Pray for the people, all the kids that are causing havoc. Pray for the people that don't have homes. Pray for the, stop being so caught up in the world and start praying for the souls of the people in this world. That's what be the church is. If, if you look like the world and you sound like the world and you act like the world, you can't be the church. The church has diluted, the, the world has diluted your identity as a follower of Christ. There is a distinction and difference between this world and the follower of Jesus Christ. Keep that distinction. How? By prayer. Pray for the lost. Pray for the difficulties. Pray for our country. Pray for our city. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our state. Pray for our country. Pray for the world. Pray for the lost. Pray for yourself, secondly. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself in areas of boldness and courage. Pray for yourself in light of where you are, where your attitude is, and you know, where, where your headspace is. Is your headspace in the gospel, or is your headspace somewhere else? Pray for yourself. T take yourself before the throne room of God. Ask God to give you a burden for the lost. Ask God to give you a care and concern for the unsaved. Thirdly, sub-point, pray for those that God lay on your heart. As you're praying, people will pop up. Pop up by face. That they may even pop up by name. So pray for people by name. Listen, every believer should have a list of people by name that they're praying for regularly. You know, it starts with our family. We've got unsafe family, unsafe uh, brothers, sisters, in-laws, have so unsafe parents perhaps, grandparents. It starts with our family. Then it expands the people that we have contact with the most. And, and every, all of us, we should have a list of names that if not every day, regularly, Lord, we're praying for so-and-so. We're praying for Mary. We're, we're praying for George. We're praying, and I lift them before you. I lift them what, what they're going through and what, what's happening in their life. And then finally in prayer, pray for an open door. So, so just ask God, God, would you set it up? I'm ready. I'm ready. I just feel, man, this, this name keeps coming up. This situation, God, open the door for me. I'm ready. I want to step in. I've been talking to them for a while. We've been talking about, I think they trust me. I'm ready to broach that subject. Pray for an open door that God will set up and you will find God will answer those prayers. It will happen. Number two, again, practical preparation. I, I put it in my notes this way so you can write it down this way, but I'll explain it to you. Be supernaturally natural. Stay natural. Like, like, here's, a, here's, a, here's another way to look at it. When you think about sharing the gospel, don't be weird about it. Don't be weird about it. Like, don't purposely, you know, go on the offense, get a new t-shirt, oh, I am an evangelist, and take your Bible and start knocking people, hey, here I am, oh, here he comes, we see Mr. Evangelist, here he comes with his Bible. No, no, no. Just, you can be yourself empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Spirit of God will come upon you and you will be witnesses. So there's a supernatural element of you just being yourself. And don't be weird about it. You know, sometimes Christians, they'll, they'll walk around like, like all bummed out. You know, just, so, just like zombie-like, woe is me, it's so hard, it's so difficult, there's no joy in their life, no, no life, no joy, no hope, no encouragement. And then there are those that are like sarcastic and biting and coarse jesting, and, and then you're like, woe is me, everything's so bad, would you like to follow Jesus with me? You know what their answer is? No! No! Like, like where's the joy of the Lord in your life? Where's the excitement? Where's the, you are born again. You're a new creation of Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. The shame has been removed. Your eternity, your eternity is secure in Christ. The gospel, friends, is good news. Not bad news. Supernaturally natural. Hey, we have seasons of difficulty, discouragement. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to misrepresenting Jesus in your life misrepresenting him, not, not just in presenting 
you know, a lifestyle. But, but you are living in a time where Christianity is being the narrative around Christians today, but it's not just a narrative. There's actually some truth to it where, you know, Christians are just known for what they're against now. They're known for protecting their own comforts and ease. They're known for their anger and their angst. And that's not the proper platform to present the good news of the gospel. Someone that's not living, understanding the sovereignty of God and trusting him with our lives, no matter what comes our way. Instead, Christians, they just want to take a stand and they want to fight and they want to, and if you're going to fight and take a stand, just do it for the right reasons. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's a spiritual battle going on in our life. And, and you know, when, when they have all this stuff going on, it's the people that get neglected. Jesus came to save people. So when you're on his mission, you're going to care about people. You're going to learn. You're going to learn to take advantage of the relationships that God has brought into your life. That's where, when we think of evangelism, I think the most effective part, part of evangelism is something you would call relationship evangelism, where you are building different friendships and relationships, or you've been gifted with a family and those relationships, where, where those relationships will naturally rise supernaturally to the gospel, where you're taking every topic. That's why I like to know a little bit about everything. I'm not really into NFL football, but I know a lot about it because it'll build a bridge with guys and gals that know the NFL. Uh, I know quite a bit about baseball. I'm not too happy this year, but I you know quite a bit about baseball. And I, that becomes, like, I can talk about baseball and I can look things up. Why? So I can build a bridge. You know, I don't know too much about fishing or hunting, but I could learn if I needed to, to talk about those things. Why? To build a bridge. I, I'm willing to take the time to learn whatever I need to learn to get to know you so that the more you and I get to know each other, the more relationship is built, the more you trust me, and then the Holy Spirit will go, now's the time. So it's, oh, you're a fisherman. Yeah, well, tell me about fishing. Fishing, 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 pole this, fish that, boat that. And I'm listening, just listening. And then, you know, perhaps the Lord would go, did you know, did you know Jesus when he was walking around? Some of his first followers were fishermen. Did you know that? And there's just immediate connection with the Bible. And it continues on, relationship evangelism. You know, a lot of times believers will hear a message like this and they'll go, let's go, let's go. And they'll start screaming and yelling and be so offensive in their delivery techniques. And there's a lot of ways to be offensive. Listen, the gospel itself, the message of the gospel is in and of itself a very offensive message. It, it's offending to people. Because when you start talking about sin and failure and God's holiness, creator God's holiness and our failure, I mean, who wants to talk about failure? I mean, that's a hard topic to broach. We start thinking about, yeah, I did that and yeah. And so what happens? People have defense mechanisms. So as soon as you begin to talk, they'll just, boom, they'll put up the wall. And then you have a decision how you're going to. That's why relationships are very important. That you don't need to make you, you, the, the, the message itself will be offensive. You don't need to be offensive. You don't need to be in a place where, you know, you just, man, you're just going to go right after them. And you sinner, you know, don't go to work tomorrow and go from cubicle to cubicle. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Jesus died for you. Jesus died. Like, like build some relationships. Bring some donuts and coffee. Do some, it's like, tell somebody that you care. People don't really care how much you know until you, they know how much you care. And if, if you have the love of Christ in you, you already care. You just got to tap into it. Release it. Die to yourself. Be supernaturally natural. I dare say that 80 to 90% of the, of, the, of the offense that people have toward Jesus is not what was said, but how it was said. How it was said. Number three, again, the practical things. We could have put this in the prayer line, but I separated it because it's special. And that is pray for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom, James said. Anyone that asks him, God will give to you wisdom. Wisdom. How? Do a, how. It's the how of life. Not the knowledge. Knowledge is the what of life. 
Wisdom is the how of life. So pray for wisdom because you're going to talk to and approach different people differently. You're going to learn to live your life in such a way. This is not hypocrisy where you pretend. That's not it. That's why you need wisdom of how to approach different people differently. Do you know the greatest thing you can do when you're serving someone is simply listen to them? Don't interrupt them. Don't get in with all. Just listen. Find out where they came from. Find out what their story is. Find out why they're so angry or why they're so scared. Or, or what it is in their life. Everyone has a story. Find out, let, let someone give you their story. And this is going to take time, right? Building a relationship takes time. And we have to get out of our mind this idea that we're the ones that go and convert people. You convert no one. I can't convert anyone. You can't convert anyone. Nor do I desire that. The Bible says that you and I, we plant seeds. Sometimes we're used by God to water them but only he gives the increase. So you can just take that burden off your shoulders and get to know someone where they're at. Tell me your story. Where'd you come from? And I was talking to someone recently and they go, I just feel so judged when you say that. Well, well let me explain to you. That I don't think that's what you're feeling at all because I, I don't, I'm not judging you like you feel. Actually, what you're feeling is your life is being examined and it's not really comfortable, is it? And you begin to get an understanding. You have a conversation with someone. Is they're sharing the difficulty of their life, of course there's going to come up with all these feelings. And you just walk alongside of them. The more they talk, the more you learn. Jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul said something really powerful. And this is where we need wisdom. He said, and I'll paraphrase this. He says, even though I'm free from all men, I have become all things to all people. Even though I'm free from all men, I've become all things to all people. Why? so that I might reach the more. And so what Paul learned was to adapt himself to the situation. He learned to adapt himself to learn. And I, I really think the way that we do that is to learn where someone is, and then we step into their world. We're not making someone step into our world. We're learning to step into their world and walk with them and become all things to all men. See, the message of the gospel never changes. It's always the same for all eternity. But the methodology has to change. I mean, if you're talking to someone that had a really bad upbringing, then you're going to be a little more sensitive. You're talking to someone that's like super rebellious and prideful, you'll probably be a little more stern. But the methodology is going to change depending on the person. The message always the same, but how we deliver it. You know, people are coming from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of attitudes, perceptions. We live in a time period right now, as I speak, we live in a time period where kids have been raised in environments and in, in our culture that truly have not been exposed. They haven't been exposed to the Bible at home. They haven't been exposed to the Bible at school. They haven't been exposed to the Bible on TikTok. They haven't been exposed to the Bible. And if they have, they just dismiss it like it's some goofy, weird fable. And so you, you need to take that into account. You need to take into account what they know, how they know it, and then value them for the person created in the image of God that they are and help them understand what you know. And that's going to take love, patience, peace. Pray for wisdom. How about this? Number four, another practical. Always have a Bible with you. Always have a Bible with you. It sounds simple enough. But, but have a Bible. This book, this is the only book on the planet Earth that is alive and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, that can cut asunder right to the heart of the matter in people's lives. This is the only book in the world that can save a soul. The only book. There is no other book. This is it. There isn't, there isn't another one. Now, the reason why you have a Bible is because you are demonstrating visibly the authority by which you speak. Like you come to someone's life, you go, I'm not making this up. Well, you just got, I don't believe in organized religion. You can answer that. Neither do I. I, I. I don't want you to be involved in some organized religion. I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to understand his love for you. I want you to understand a God that loved you so much. He saw your hopeless estate. It's actually in one of the songs that we sing. That he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to live for you and die for you. 
I mean, this man lived a perfect life. That's what the Bible would show us. He lived a perfect life, but the people alive at the time, his reward for perfection was torture and crucifixion. The love of Jesus. We have never met anyone like Jesus before. People give us shadows and shades of Jesus, but we've never met anyone perfect in all his ways. God in human flesh. But if you can imagine having God in human flesh and being rewarded with lies, deceit, crucifixion. They, crucifixion was the most brutal way for someone to die. It wasn't designed to kill someone fast. It was designed to kill them slowly. After which, prior to the crucifixion, a person was beaten almost to death. And Jesus did all that for you. We're not talking organized religion here. And I apologize for all the failures of organized religion all the failures of our church. You got involved with our church, you're not going to come to a perfect church, perfect group of people. Life is messy, and it stays messy until the coming of the Lord. However, one of the things about the messes of our lives is God begins to clean them up, and we're so much cleaner than we were yesterday, so much cleaner than we were 20 years ago, and you just have these real conversations, but the Bible is your authority. One of the things I like to do when I'm sharing, if the opportunity comes, is I like to turn the Bible around, and I'll point to them, and I said, just read that for me, so that if they're with me, if the conversation's leading that way, I said, just read this. This is so amazing. This is so cool. As they're reading the Bible, it's coming out of their own lips. And it also shows, this is not my opinion, well, you know, because you're a pastor, you have to do this. No, no, no. I'm a follower of Jesus, just like you. I want you to be. Like, I, this is my life. This is not my job. This is my life. And, and so I want you to have. So, so I think you should have Bibles everywhere. I have a Bible in my car uh, in that middle section there because if I'm out and about and I get called on a hospital visit or I got to be an appointment I, and I don't have my Bible with me, I just pull it out of the car. I have it with me. When, when I work, I mean, obviously I have Bibles here in the office, but when I was working in the corporate world, I had a Bible on my desk. I had a Bible in my desk. I had a Bible in my car just in case, just in case. And, and I know some of your environments are going, no, no, Ed, you don't understand. HR said we can never have a Bible on our desk. Okay, that's all right. You can respect that. You, 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 what, if you're in that kind of environment, instead of getting all mad about, oh, I'm going to put my Bible on my desk. And then your boss is going to say, well, go get a desk somewhere else. And then you're going to have to, like, you lose everything for that. You don't need to. Just start memorizing the Bible. And then a Bible's at your desk. <laughs> and you can start talking to people about the Bible with the Bible, and they don't even need to know. You're just giving them the truth that's lived out in your life. I mean, when you tell somebody, do you, do you know that there's a God in heaven that loves you? You're starting to quote to them John 3.16. You haven't quoted, like, according to the Bible, in John, St. John, chapter, you, 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 you can be natural, but if you have the opportunity I mean, for some of you, this can be life-changing for you being used at work. And, and, you have, and you have the ability, just put a Bible on your desk. You don't have to say anything. Just put it on your desk. Maybe even put it on your desk open and pray that what's seen on your desk would provoke someone. Because people, they really struggle with life and they really want answers. And they see a Bible on your desk, and it, it's an answer to the prayer where you say, Lord, would you please set it up? They see a Bible, and they come to you and go, hey, it looks like you're religious. You probably go to church. Can I talk to you? I mean, you're going to see in the book of Acts, as you read ahead, there were times where the people listening, their response to what was said was, they, they, their response was, what must we do to be saved? There was no invitation. They gave it themselves. You want to know why? Because God is working on people right now as I speak. They're ready. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few, not for long. Because we pray the Lord of the harvest. So carry a Bible. Put it in your office. Put it in your glove compartment. Put it in that middle section. Have a Bible available. I know you can use your phone, and I've used my phone for sure. And I know you can use your iPad, and you can use your iPad. I do too. But here's the thing, if you're in a waiting room, you know, you got an hour and a half wait at the doctor and you've got a phone, people don't know that's the Bible. And you're reading, you got an hour and a half and you got your iPad up like that, they don't know you're reading the Bible. But if you're sitting in the waiting room with a Bible open in front of you, there's no question what you're doing. There is a spiritual invasion of God into that waiting room. You, you have brought the presence of Almighty God right there into Kaiser, right there. Just because you have to wait an hour and a half. 
Now, you could play Angry Birds and be mad for the weight and be all upset on your iPad, or you could take the Word of God, build yourself up, speak to everyone in that room, God is here, and it's even an invitation. It's like, God is here, go ahead and talk to me about it. I dare you. Come on up. This is my life. And there's something about the Bible. You with me so far? All right, here we go. Number five. Number five. So we talked about person of prayer, supernaturally natural, uh, praying for wisdom, have a Bible with you all the time. Number five, be ready to share your testimony. Be ready to share your testimony. One of the most powerful tools in sharing your faith is sharing the story of how God changed your life. It is the gospel in living color. The gospel in living color is your story. But actually, your testimony is not your story. It is his story. Don't ever forget that. A real testimony will always highlight the power and presence of God, not you. And you want it to be short, not long. So when you're sharing your testimony, you don't want to take people back to the womb. Well, you know, I was born back in, and then I grew up on a farm, and then I moved to the big city. Okay, we appreciate all that, but we don't need that as part of your testimony. Make it short and concise. I think in the business world, they talked about when you have a pitch or anything, that you have an elevator version. Is that an elevator version where, like, you just get it out. Get it out fast. Um, back in the day, we'd call that the Reader's Digest version, a condensed version. Now, our elevator only does two floors here, so it better be fast. So quick. So I have a piece of paper, uh, and this is how you do your testimony. If you never shared your testimony before, this is how you prepare it. I would do an eight and a half by 11, but this, uh, this is what this represents. In your blank piece of paper, three rectangle boxes equal size. So you got a box at the top, a box in the middle, and a box on the bottom. Three, that's your testimony. Box number one, who you were. You don't have to go really super deep, but man, give people an idea of just how bad your life was apart from Christ. Now, if you were born in a Christian home, uh, you were raised in a Christian home, your testimony will, see, because everyone that's born again has either been saved out of sin, that would be a difficult testimony, you know, difficult box, or saved from sin. So either way, it's a powerful testimony. I think some of you that were born in a Christian home actually have a more powerful testimony resisting temptation than some of us that just went for it without self-control. But nonetheless, it's our story, it's your story. That's the first box. And the reason why you have boxes, it's gonna limit you what you can write. So don't get all smart and try writing as small as you can so you can fit as much. Just, just be real and just write what you can in the box saying this is, where I, you know, this is what I got into, I was a drug addict, I was this, I, I was angry, whatever. Whatever it was that your life was filled with sin. Second box is how God met you. What is it that changed? Hey, you're going through a difficult time. Buddy was praying for you. Grandma called you up. Somebody sent you a Bible. Friend invited you to church. What was the turning point that exposed you to the gospel, to hearing that your sins could be forgiven? And then the final box would be on the bottom. The final box would be, what's your life now? What's your life now? What's God been doing now? This was your life apart from Christ. This is how God invaded your life, box two. And then the final one was, okay, now what God's, look at your life now. Look what God has done. And that can keep going and keep going and keep going. Here's the thing about your testimony. Why is it so important? Well, when you're talking to people, if you launch out about, well, I'm a Christian and I believe the Bible, most likely somebody's going, I don't believe that. I don't believe in the Bible. Well, you believe in the Bible, you believe fairy tales, and then it, you know, the conversation goes off. And then you start out and go, I believe in creator God, that God created the world in seven days. You go, oh, come on, man. What kind of fool are you? And they start arguing with you about it. I believe in Noah and a worldwide flood. You believe in Noah. I believe in Jonah. And they just boom, boom, right after you. But when you share your testimony, most people won't argue with you. And the people that do, oh, I don't believe your life was that bad. I don't believe you. I'm like, dude, I was there. You weren't there. I was there. This is my life. You, they won't argue with your story. Now, they may have a hard time believing it. They may, but this is the thing about your testimony. Not only will it take a barrier to, you know why people have defense mechanisms? Because they've had many believers before you really hurt them. It's not just their resistance to the gospel. It's not just that they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That is true. 
But sometimes you're paying the price for the last eight people that tried to shove the Bible down their throat. I know you aren't trying to do that, but they've experienced that. They've experienced, I was talking to someone recently, they experienced a very legalistic home and it hurt them. And they've been carrying that their whole life. So that when they hear something, they hear me talking and go, oh, you just sound like my mom did 30 years ago. And I have to take the time to unpack that for them. It says, you know, me and your mom are using the same language, but we mean two different things. The grace of God is very different than what, and, and so you're dealing sometimes, it's not, and you get, if somebody gets defensive with you and gets all over you, what do you do? You get defensive, and then you think, oh, I'm going to prove it to them. I'm going to show them, and that doesn't lead to anything. But your testimony, you want to know the other thing about your testimony? This is something supernaturally. You can't plan this. You, you, this is what the Lord does. A lot of times, God will bring you people that have a very similar testimony than you. And when they hear your story, whether they say it or not, they're like, man, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe there's hope for me. And so don't be so quickly offended by defense mechanisms. Just pray the Lord will take them away. And don't you become so angry and frustrated with them that you start attacking them. Don't do that. It's okay. God is in the midst. He loves them. He loves you. Share your testimony. And then finally, this is the second half of our time today. Number six, if you want to share the gospel, you need to know how to share the gospel biblically. Biblically. And that's, there's a lot of ways to do that. But we're going to use the Romans road as a tool so that you already know you can get a copy of it. You can print it out. You can put it in your Bible. You can write it down. What I did when I learned the Romans road is I went to the very first verse. I didn't try to memorize them all. I just went to the first verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And I memorized that one. And then in, in my Bible, I wrote a little arrow and I said, go to chapter 6, go to chapter 5, go to chapter 10, so I could learn it that way. So I just learned one in my Bible, and so I had it with me. I still have the notes right here in my Bible of learning the Romans road as a new believer, and you wanna learn, the, the, you wanna learn how to share the gospel biblically because there are many different approaches, many different things, but the, the, there are so many fragmented ideas on, on how to share the gospel that we need a clear and steady path for someone we're speaking to to go from spiritual death into spiritual life. So here's a second list. Number one, learning how to share the gospel biblically. You need to establish the need to be saved. You need to establish the need to be saved. The first step in sharing the good news actually begins with bad news. The bad news of sin. Helping a person realize they're a sinner can be a very difficult thing to do. In fact, it's impossible to do humanly. It's totally a work of the Holy Spirit, and his word is key. So we start out in Romans chapter 3. It's a beautiful truth. It says, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And you want to make sure you emphasize the word all. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. We have all failed. Now, I know the word sin is very offensive. Almost, most people will turn you off right away. So I have a different approach at times when I notice there's a little anxiety around sin, and, and I'll just talk about perfection and mistakes. I'll just talk about perfection. Are you a perfect person? Well, you know, nobody's perfect. I know, that, that, that's right. You're not, like, per, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I'm, I've made some really big mistakes in my life. Have you made any mistakes? Usually people will, well, of course I have. Of course I have. I made a mistake yesterday. I made a mistake when I was a kid. And, and you're, you're just talking about our imperfections. That's really the essence. That, that you're not perfect, even as I'm speaking to you today, some of you right now, you, you need to realize and just admit out loud that you're an imperfect person, that, that you have failed. I know it's painful, but it's the truth, that you have made mistakes. So here's the thing about mistakes, you ready? What we call mistakes, what culture calls mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And sin is actually a greater mistake than the typical ones that we make. Because sin is a mistake toward a holy and a righteous God. I mean, we're talking about your eternity here. We're talking about after 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life on earth, you will meet your maker. I will. I will meet God face to face. And all of us will meet him having sinned against him. Every single one of us. There's just no way around it. The, the Greek word for sin 
comes to us from the realm of archery, you know, a guy pulling back a bow and arrow, shooting at a target. The word sin in the Greek just simply means to miss the mark. You were aiming at it, you were trying, because that speaks to almost always when you're sharing with people, you know what their response is. Hey, I'm a good person. And that, that really is a, a sincere, I think it's a sincere response. It doesn't stumble me at all. Truly today, if you would say, yeah, I, I know I made mistakes, but I am a good person, I would say thank you for being a good person. Thank you. This world needs more good people doing more good things. It's good to be good. However, when it comes to measuring your life in goodness, who is it that you're comparing yourself to? Because we can always find the worst person in our family. We can always find the worst person in this world and go, well, compared to him, I'm good. Yeah, pretty much the world is good compared to them. Yes. But, but how about compared to the perfection of Christ. Where do you measure there? Well, you know, nobody's like Jesus. I know, that's the whole point. Like, like if your sin wasn't so serious, then why did an innocent man have to die for you? Why was his innocent blood shed for you? Well, the Bible tells us that, that God so loved you. He, his, his rescue of your life and mine was because he loves you. So we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to establish the issue of sin. You see, calling sin a disease makes it sound like it's fatal. There's no hope there. And calling sin a dysfunction sounds like it's unchangeable and you're stuck with the way you were born and the family you were born into. And man, there's no hope there. Calling sin an addiction makes it sound like you'll never have control over that behavior your whole life. But calling sin what it is reminds us that sin is forgivable and literally can be forsaken. You don't have to live the rest of your life thinking that that behavior is just a disease or a dysfunction or an addiction you'll never get. No, God is ready to forgive you, deliver you, and make you a new creation of Christ even now. And this becomes a part of your conversation. Not only that, we need to also establish the penalty of sin. And that's where you're going to take someone to Romans chapter 6, the wait, verse 23. The wages of sin is death for all of us. But then the very next part of that verse, in verse B, in the second part, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we learn in Romans chapter 5 that Christ died for our sins, verse 8. And then we're going to take him along to the second part of chapter 6, verse 23, that he's given us life, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that salvation is a gift to be received. And then that you'll finally end up in Romans chapter 10, where you teach them that they need to confess their sins. And, you know, Romans 10, 9 and 10, I know most of you never get up on the stage or see the pulpit, but right here on the pulpit, I asked my assistant Cassandra to put this on the pulpit for me, and it's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Why? So that every time I stand here, every time a guest pastor or anybody stands behind this pulpit, they remember that the sole purpose of us being here is to bring you to a place where you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's more important than any Bible study, any song we sing. It's to have the assurance that God has forgiven you of your sins. The supernatural, sovereign work of God, the Spirit, bringing conviction upon your heart and your response by, through repentance and the choice to follow Him. The two verses that probably all your friends and family know, I mean, they're, they're around the world. Everywhere I've traveled around the world, Believers and unbelievers alike have one or both of these plaques in some way on their wall. A plaque of Psalm 23 and a plaque of John 3.16. And those are both. So God is so wise, obviously, of making sure that these were the most memorable verses because they're the gospel in miniature. You learn of the good shepherd and you learn of the God who loves you and sent the good shepherd to die for you. Those are all tools in your toolbox. And once you have established sin, once you've used this, you know, again, I don't think you're going to sit down and go, this is the gospel. And you're just like, read these sheep, all right? Read these sheep. And this one's really bad. And this, you know, it's natural. You're just going to have conversation. 
You're going to listen. You're going to have a conversation with them. A lot of our conversations, they're going to lead to the second one. You want to think of the second conversation. You want to think of the third conversation. You want to be patient like God is patient. If God is patient, not willing that any should perish, then he's going to give us the same patience. We don't have to be impatient with people. We don't know how God's going to use us. And so as you're sharing with them, this is the key that many, many people miss. And that's this. Number one, you've shown them sin. Number two, you've shown them that Jesus died for their sins. And then thirdly, you need to ask them in that second, is there anything today that's preventing you from receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I mean, you want to get saved. You can use a lot of different languages. You want to get saved right now? You want to pray to receive the Lord? You want your sins forgiven? Are you ready? You can use any of the language. And one of the reasons you don't ask that is because you're afraid they'll say yes. And if they say yes, you're like, then what do I do? It's like, I, I, I don't know. But look, in this little thing, there's even, we put a prayer that you can help them with. Listen, prayers don't save people, so you don't have to have the exact words. Churches don't save people, so they don't have to be in this room. Pastors and priests don't save people, absolutely never, ever. But you can help them follow the pattern. Here's the scripture, the little prayer we put. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me. I believe you are the son of God and that you lived, died, and came to life again. Forgive me of all of my sins against you and help me to obey and follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. It can be simple as that. You're helping someone obey Romans 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. There's no formula to it. You're simply doing what Andrew did. Get them to Jesus. Walk them through the scriptures. Now, before we leave, I don't have time to develop this, but I do want to give it to you because we're out of time. But after a person responds or when you meet a new believer, there are at least seven things you need to consider that you now have a responsibility in their life. So I'll give them to you quickly uh, and then I'll develop this on my blog and I'll send out a link uh, and I'll put this together on my blog for you guys and I'll send out a link social media so you can download it and read it. But, but consider this right now. Um, as you meet a new believer, as you lead someone to the Lord, you have a responsibility, and here's some of them. Number one, you have a responsibility to teach them. Why? Because they know nothing. And you're the one that's closest to them, so you're going to help teach them. And you don't have to worry about teaching them everything. Just teach them what you know. Number two, encourage them. They've made a wonderful decision but now they're in the worst spiritual warfare they've ever experienced in their life. So encourage them. This is normal. This is what, and they're not doing anything wrong. And just be there to encourage them. Number three, warn them. Warn them. Remember Jesus gave the parable of the sower and out of the four seeds that were sown, only one took. You need to warn people, just because you prayed a prayer doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you stood doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you had raised a hand doesn't mean you're saved. This is a lifestyle, a lifetime commitment. Warn them. Warn them. Don't, you know, don't, don't think in this church, well, I prayed the prayer, and then you walk out those doors, and you live worse sinner than when you were when you walked in. You won't live a worse sinner. You will be changed on the inside out. Don't deceive yourself. Commit your life to the Lord. Number four, help them. Explain to them, you know, they might have to leave some things. They might need new friends. They might need to stop watching. Explain to them things that can hurt them and also things that can help them and give them that help. Number five, disciple them. We don't have, we don't have enough today, but I'll, have, I'll ask the office to do this in a couple weeks. Uh, when we, we want to print more of these new believer packets that we do up here. We call it Next Steps. The new revision is amazing. This is a packet that you should take by faith being ready to give it to the first person you lead to the Lord. It's what we give to people up front here. And this is where you can disciple them. And even as you're discipling them, you're growing as well. It is super thorough and super helpful. And every believer should have one ready to give it away. So in a couple of weeks, we'll make it available to you. But it's also up online on our website. So if you go to the how, how to follow God section, you can print it out from there. You can print as many out as you want. You can forward it, give it away. It is free unto the Lord. Disciple them. Number six, bring them to church. Bring them to church. If you can, if you can't because they're in another state, find them a church. Do the work and the research to find them a safe congregation where they can grow in their community. And then number seven, be available to them. I can't emphasize this enough because it covers all of them. Please, please, please 
Be available to them. Be available to the new believers you meet here, to the people you're connecting with. Give them your email address. Yes, give them your cell phone number. Give them your number. The telemarketers have it. Give it to somebody in the name of Jesus. Give them your number. You go, but wait a minute, Ed. What if they they call me and start abusing it? What if they abuse it? Well, you know what? You're not there yet. But if somebody does abuse it, there's a nice little feature on your phone that says block. And that's it. Well, but Ed, Ed, what if they call me at three o'clock in the morning? What if they call me three o'clock in the morning? I'm going to give you advice for if you give your number out and they call you at three o'clock in the morning. You ready? You ready? Answer it. Might be at a bar, ready to drive home. And you're the only one that they could think of that would come and not judge them and drive them home and keep the street safe. Hey man, if they're calling every day at three o'clock in the morning, that, that's a relation issue, right? So, but it hasn't even happened yet. You know why? Because you're, you haven't even given your number out yet. To be the body and be the church and, and just to, to make yourself available. The Lord will cover those things. And certainly there are times when people do abuse that privilege. Of course, of course. But let's deal with that when we get there. And when the Lord will give you wisdom, you may have to answer that phone twice at three in the morning. or three. You, Who knows? A lot of things happen overnight. And the church needs to be just as available when we're sleeping as when we're awake to our community. Because you remember not too long ago, just up the street here in the middle of the night, tragedy struck our city. Massive tragedy, traumatic tragedy that still many people are suffering from. And we want to be ready and available to serve our city, especially to serve the people that we know the most with the gospel. Amen? So, Father, thank you for the privilege of your word, and I know it's a lot to cover, but I pray that it gets, you know, just gets deeply embedded in the, the DNA of our church, in our, all the new, wonderful people that call Calvary their home. This is our DNA, and this is who we are. We may not be very good at it. I mean, we may need to grow in it, but so be it, Lord. We are open and willing to be more used from you, not less, to be more available, not less to die to ourselves and live to you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.